0: This week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee's Summit. Hey, Jason, big news. Yes. Big news. New. What's up? The big man, Santa himself, is coming to town and coming to Budget Blinds. Santa! Santa! He's coming to Budget Blinds December 14th from 6 to 8. Here's your chance to come here, Santa. Read some of his favorite Christmas stories. And you can also help out Lee Summit Social Services.
1: Oh, well, that is, I think, kind of sneaky, the point, right? Uh, we're to You can get some pictures. You can hang out with Santa. You can tell Santa what you, the very good boy or girl, needs for Christmas. We're going to be filling some stockings for those of us who may not out there that may not have as much as they need for this holiday. Gift cards, gloves, scarves, even some straight-up cash money. It's always welcome.
0: Always. And if you help us fill those stockings – You get a print of your picture right there in the store. So come on out, six to eight, December 14th, Budget Blinds of Lee Summit.
1: Always, always, our good friends, our great sponsors, and a great, great friend of the community. Hello, and welcome to a
0: special extended version of Lee Summit Town Hall. Jason and I flipped the script a little bit this week because we wanted to wait and talk about a presentation before city council this week, one that has been a hot topic in and around the community, especially in the downtown area, and that is a proposed redevelopment of the former United Methodist Church at 2nd and Douglas. Jason, this week was a conceptual incentive plan presentation. It wasn't it's a, a lot. real thing. That's a lot of adjectives, but yes. It's a lot. So they're not really an applicant yet. There is no project formally in the hopper at City Hall. However, this is – they are working to to purchase the land if they can get kind of everybody's go-ahead from the city and the community on this development plan. So, Jason, tell
1: us what happened today. Okay. So let's let's start – and I think you, you set the stage very well. This is an extremely – even though it's the second time that we've had one of these from this applicant – It's an extremely preliminary step in the process by which that piece of land would get redeveloped. Um, There is no, as you put, there is no formal uh, building drawings that are on the public record that we can comment on, like, as a thing. There are no – we don't have, you know, what's going to happen with the streets and what's going to happen, what kind of landscaping they're going to have or any of all the dozens and dozens and dozens of things that come through these projects – as they come through planning, city council, what have you. What what we do have and what they needed to provide was some information to the council about the project in general coupled with information about money because I think the key driver and and what they've said in that is that we need to have, the the developer needs to have a a pretty clear okay from the city council that they're – Proposal on their incentives will be acceptable so that they can work through then going ahead and starting the formal planning process and what have you. And really, this presentation
0: was about two things. One, it was about seeing whether they were kind of in the council's ballpark as far as incentive requests. And the other, what had been, I don't want to say public uproar, but a loud conversation in the public about the original plan, which was not to save the original sanctuary of that Methodist church. Right. And, and what we've seen is the developer now kind of responding and taking in that public voice and saying, we'll find a way. And what was interesting to me, Jason, during the presentation was the they said, hey, we've got people that do historic preservation. They couldn't find a good way, a feasible way to do this for the project. So we called in a friend, an expert, and they helped us find a way. And here's what we're starting with.
1: Right. And so I think that that was one of the things, of course, that the, the council was very skeptical about uh, approving any plan, let alone the incentive portion of the plan, uh, that ignored this that historic part of the church. And, and there was a lot of conversation on Facebook. and know you and I both saw the stuff running around there. And there's been a lot of chatter. We'll say it that way. A lot of chatter about the unacceptable outcome that that building would be taken down as part of a development on that piece of land. And it, it's encouraging to have the developer be so responsive. I think they understood that in the beginning. But what you said, they didn't. They just didn't know how to make it work. Finding a way to do it
0: and stay within their budgets is was a very hard thing to do, and we'll get into some of the reasons why. But it was nice to see the process work the way it's supposed to be, where they right. took into account and they found somebody that helped them do it.
1: Right, and to keep in mind this is before there's ever been an official plan or anything else. So this doesn't come to planning commission, and we haven't had a public hearing on it, and they haven't. They've already done a lot of that leg work. I think that will address a lot of the concerns that are expressed by the community before they've even submitted official piece of paperwork, number one. So that is, that is encouraging in terms of a process that they, they listened early, they went through their deal, they've, they've gotten what they need to get, and, and they're going to move forward. And they've made already a very, very substantive change to that. Now, that's not the only substantive change that they brought up. At there, I, I think as they've gotten in and started to do more work, they realized that the sanitary sewer um, capacities downtown were a little limiting, and there was a lot of concern expressed at the council level and I think in the engineering about the additional load that putting 300 plus people like on that spot was going to do, and that uh, I think has also impacted part of their ask.
0: Right. And I think it's it's that change there, that addition to the project of having to take care of, of some of those infrastructure issues, the sanitary sewer that you talked about, which has made them change their incentive requests. The one hundred percent TIF is still still in their request that they're that they're talking about, but what they've added now is chapter one hundred.
1: Right. And what that essentially does is it allows them to not pay sales taxes on the materials that they're using for the project. Um We can dither around about what we want to call that, but essentially it gives them uh, out of that, and that is money that they save that they can then invest into working on, as they put it, uh, using that money to help pay for the sanitary sewer improvements that are going to be required as a result of this project, which is something they hadn't fully anticipated when they started started this process months ago.
0: The whole point of this presentation was really to gauge – Mostly the, the council's reaction to see where they stood on the on these new changes. It was also, I think, a little bit to gauge public response. I mean, this is, Jason, this is a, a downtown project that includes a, a historic church that has ties to thousands and thousands of people in this community. I mean, every person that's ever said anything about it probably says they were married there. <laughs> <laughs> it also includes apartments, which I know is a favorite topic of yours. And I'm going to keep you off the soapbox today. Sorry. I feel I feel
1: a little hurt
0: by that, well, but it's, I, it's I, my uh, fl- job. I also fully understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what we're seeing with this, though, is the process is working like it should. And obviously, the developer has been paying attention to to both council comments, to public comments. Staff has done their their due diligence of working with with the developer. And so, what we saw were were was light conversation. Back from, from the from the council, on the dais with a few pointed questions, just to kind of make sure things were still moving forward and and that the right things were going to be taken care of.
1: Right, I think one, it, it was I was kind of surprised there was not more conversation, but I think a lot of this is there obviously on this council. There are a, a two or three members who are, I think, very incentive skeptical. Um, in general, uh, Councilmember Johnson probably being the most vocal about that. In general, he's very skeptical. He's very protective of the library's uh, tax, uh, property tax uh, assessments, and the money that's generated for that. But as a whole, that was that's there. And I think some of the council members who were present, who are more t- tiff skeptical, asked some of the questions to to clarify, making sure that. You know, the project is taking care of the schools, is taking care of the library, is, you know, what's going to be the net impact on tax collections and those sorts of things in the city. And so keeping in mind, just to remind people who didn't want to watch the entire council presentation this project, as that land currently sits, it generates no property taxes whatsoever because it's a church, which is an exempt use under Missouri law, and they don't pay, churches don't pay property taxes. It has an assessed value, it just doesn't pay taxes on it as it is. As soon as the land is purchased by this private developer, it will be subject to paying property taxes on the value as it is currently assessed. Correct. And the entirety of the TIF is going to be on any increase in that amount. So really, even if there is nothing else happens, there will be an increase in the amount of tax revenue that is generated for schools and fire and the library and all the other bits and pieces that we generate property taxes for. So, but I think that the council's commentary was fairly straightforward, asking some of the questions that are are key to those particular council members. But there wasn't, I think there was two things that were absent that we, we have grown to not appreciate, but sometimes expect over the course of the last several years, is there was no, Pointed arguments at one another, or, you know, it didn't, the, the conversation never devolved into anything that was untoward. Well, and it stayed on task. It stayed current to the point of the process that it's
0: at. Right. They didn't go forward into arguments, and I use that word lightly here because argument's not the right word, but the arguments and debates about
1: things that it's not time to have yet. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about whether the project was a. You know, they really did not get into the weeds on the project itself, like what the building's going to look like and right. how many trees it's going to have and all the other things that we care about. They talked about some of the big picture issues that were out there at a conceptual level. And I thought they did a very good job of, of keeping their conversation tight and on point.
0: Well, let me – I'm going to pick your brain. Put on your planning commission hat for me a little bit here. All righty. So we just had this presentation, conceptual incentive plan presentation. Mm-hmm. I just like saying that, by the way. It's kind of fun. So for people listening, for for residents and citizens that care about this particular topic, what happens next? And then my follow-up is going to be how can people continue to be involved?
1: Okay, good. Uh, I think those are good. All right, so what the developer and the attorney for the developer was looking for was essentially a sort of a nod – from the council, that they weren't going to roadblock this at the incentive level, at the financing level, before they went ahead and started doing the the get ready to build a building stuff, okay, including closing on the land um, as the contract, including filing their documents. So they're going to go into their, hopefully into their final closing process to work on purchasing the land from the church. Um, and so the church will complete its – and then at some point the church will vacate and complete their move out to View High Drive. So that that piece will happen, but that's not really part of the city business. That's just pri- – that's a private real estate transaction. At the city level, uh, what their attorney indicated this evening is they were basically ready to begin the planning process, the public part of the planning process, and getting it through the development – the planning and development department at the thing. So they will be submitting – um they may they may come in if they haven't already had um, what's what's called a, a pre-application meeting where they will sit down with all of the various entities at the city level, um, and then they will present to the city. They'll file with the city a preliminary development plan. Um, and then that process will kind of start to wind its way through the the process. And that, that a lot of that happens behind the scenes uh, where, the the city developers or the city development department's going to look at all that stuff and say okay we well, need to make this change and we need to do this or we need to address this part in the code and go through all of that eventually and it could be relatively soon what will happen is that there'll be a public hearing scheduled for the planning de- uh, planning commission and there'll be probably a planning a public hearing scheduled for the city council and then it will begin that process if the um, I would assume that the developer will also hold at least one and maybe more than one neighborhood meeting where they, they reach out to neighboring stakeholders. You know, there aren't homes associations right there, so it's a little bit challenging, but they can make some public things. They can talk to downtown and just go through that.
0: It seemed obvious to me watching that presentation that they have already been doing that. That, that they've talked to people involved with historic preservation, with the historic society, with people in downtown. It seemed obvious to me that that communication is already ongoing. And so that, to me, that is a positive sign that our processes are working. And if this project or a project similar to happens and goes through that will be done the right way
1: right so at a certain point so those meetings should happen i would anticipate for instance that they would coordinate with downtown main street to do some sort of a meeting where downtown interested downtown people and then people who are just around the surrounding neighborhoods can have an opportunity to come and listen see the actual filed pictures of what they want to do and kind of work through that process. That's a fairly normal part of our expectation level. It's not required, but it's something that virtually every significant develop, development does as a, as a piece of their public process to help answer questions that don't need that, you know, that their interests and concerns, but may not rise to the thing of wanting to come to a public hearing and make some sort of statement and question the, the applicant at that point. So that's what the next stages will be. Um, parallel to that. So that we make sure we understand that there will also be the beginnings of the working on the actual um, incentive process, the Chapter 100 and the TIF, the contracts and paperwork and all sorts of things that go along with that. And that all happens at the council level, independent, basically, of what happens at the planning in the planning process, although obviously they're related to one another. We'd also held this uh, episode to talk what we thought was going to be a presentation on the potential of a use tax for the city, but I think that got pulled off the agenda at the last minute. But there were a couple of other things that we just wanted to to chit-chat about as we go through. The most, uh, I think, pressing or not, not even necessarily pressing of them is they the council put forth an ordinance for first reading um to talk about limiting comments during the public comment period at city council meetings and essentially what they've done is they added in a piece a bit to make sure that the comments are focused on the the agenda or the actual operations of the city as a whole. Right and
0: I think council member Bob Johnson actually put this in a great way. This is this this is like we're going to write down the unwritten rule. This was always the intent of public comments, was that people could come to come before them with issues about what was on the agenda or just things that had to do with the city. Unfortunately, they're doing this as a reaction to one person. There is someone that goes to every city council meeting and harps and harps, on conspiracy theories and things that don't really have anything to do with this local body,
1: and uh, to to counterpoint that, then she she when Mayor Baird has attempted to over time restrain her in the topic matter, she has accused him of uh, being a tyrant or some other, and and pretty rough. And and there's been have to times where you know she's basically had to be escorted from the meeting by the police. So the behavior is is unpleasant, and certainly not productive to the business of the city in any particular way. In discussion following that, we heard from some of the
0: other council members. Councilmember Rob Binney said he couldn't support it because he didn't like putting restrictions on, on the people's ability to come before their elected officials. Right. And,
1: and in the old law school parlance, this would be what he would be some more of what we would call a First Amendment absolutist. And I think you and I both sort of kind of go that direction ourselves. Look, most... Majority of my adult life is living by the First Amendment.
0: We have a right to speak. Councilmember Craig Faith said essentially the same thing. His was a little longer. But he essentially came down to, I wish I didn't have to support this, but I'm gonna because of this one person. And there, Jason, is my, my, my one really big caveat. Is I take great pause... When legislation is enacted as a reaction to one person, I totally understand why they're doing it. I wish this person didn't show up and waste time. This, that conversation happened at three hours and 30 minutes into a city council meeting.
1: Right. And so our meetings are are long enough as it is. um, And the mayor and the council have done, I think, a fair bit of trying to moving things around, doing, you know, kind of shuffling some things to help shorten the amount of time that the city council meetings take. In our joint meeting last uh, month uh, between the Planning Commission and the city council, that was something that was on there as well as, you know, are there things, are there procedural steps that we can do or adjustments we can make in the process to allow the city council to handle its business more quickly when dealing with things that have come from the planning commission with a recommendation. So it's something that's out there. But I would say this is that it's difficult to – this is one of those situations where, yes, we're making amendments to the law for a person. Um, That may be a good piece uh, to add to the the ordinance just as a general piece of rule keeping. I think we – in Off Air, we had discussed making those unwritten rules written in this particular thing. It'll be interesting to see and hopefully we won't have this but you know when what's the next one that comes up What's is somebody coming along this is our slippery slope argument and how much restraint will city council have in making further adjustments to deal with what is admittedly an extraordinarily squeaky wheel This will come up again for second reading before
0: before formal approval at the next council meeting So my question my thing that I would like to to kick to the the council members on the dais and the mayor, since the mayor votes now, is to think of it like this. If that one person weren't attending every single meeting, would you support this this piece of, of legislation, this ordinance? And I think you should stop and think about that for a little bit because those ordinances are hard to take back. And I don't know. I hate the slippery slope stuff. You know that about me, that I I, I don't like those arguments ever. But it, this is one thing when I think it's good to take that pause and take a hard look, like, look at would we do this without that one factor?
1: And I think that's actually a, a really good way is to say, OK, here's an alternative perspective. And you may come to the same conclusion. We're not actually proposing a conclusion one way or another. But take that alternative perspective into your mind when you're thinking about how to how to vote on this particular ordinance or any ordinance. It's like, what's that alternative perspective And would that impact the way you vote in that – And I would
0: like to – I would actually like to hear that answer from them because I don't know. I don't know the answer and I don't know which way I would fall. I just know that that one little bit of it gives me pause. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. So we're going to roll on to that. Now, the the last one that came up was a discussion of a prohibition of using staff or staff time being used in any kind of a district-specific forum um, after February 1 in the year – in an election year. Um, for city city elections, and and the reason for that is this past election, there was a a, a district town hall held, sort of official city event held in a district, in the run up right before the election, and I know it's something we mentioned on the air. Um, it it you know, we don't think the city was like the city staff was trying to promote any particular candidate or anything else, but it just didn't feel right and it didn't it look right. was bad optics. And, and this is a rule, I think, to just go ahead and put the prohibition on that to prevent it from happening and preventing that bad, those bad optics from reappearing. All right. And with that, um, that was kind of our review of council. We're not going to do this all the time, but I think for some of these big projects, it's a it's a useful thing to do a follow up. And have that information, especially when we don't want to stay up till 11 or 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning to follow Council live and then react to get that out on that Wednesday morning. Um, thank you for taking the time. to Download us. Make sure that you share these conversations with your, your friends and your co-workers. Get us out there. Follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters and what have you. And thank you for listening to the Council. Jason.
0: You and I are what I would describe as
1: roundish. I think, I would like to think of myself as well-rounded, but I might be in certain ways, a little overly well-rounded.
0: We are not the uh, beacons of health and lean bodies that we were in our youth.
1: That is very generous of you to ever accuse me of having a lean body.
0: (laughs) But here's the deal. Our buddies at Shred KC have the perfect way for people like us to jumpstart their fitness efforts for the next year. It's a six week challenge.
1: That's a lot of weeks, man.
0: It is. There's a a money grand prize, $3,000, unlimited group classes, a weekly meal plan that comes with grocery list, recipe book. Here's the cool thing. You get a 3D body scan, one before and one after the challenge. It's gonna show you everything about your body. I'm not sure I wanna see
1: it, but I need to see it. I am seriously, that that sounds, I, mean, I understand that's a really cool piece of technology and a really very cool way to sort of objectively look at your progress. But man, the last thing I wanna see is like a brutal 3D scan of my old butt. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and here's how you find out
0: more. Go visit our friends at their website. It's Shred AF, the number six week dot com.